It's time for Horrenda's Agenda, Bill's reflections on sports and life. And another astute guest covering the NBA in ubiquitous fashion, formerly with the New York Times, the L.A. Daily News. Now, of course, you read him at Bleacher Report, the full 48 podcast, along with Jordan Brenner. It's Howard Beck joining us live from Park Slope, Brooklyn. Howard, welcome to Horrendous Agenda. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Great to be here. Appreciate it. And I have to apologize right up front to not mention you're an alum of UC Davis in the intro is an egregious blunder. So I, I have to obviously, obviously the most important part of my resume. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And Howard, so much going on this offseason. It's been a frenetic scenario. Uh, perhaps we'll start with LeBron James and the reported uh, uneasy tension in Cleveland. What's your take on LeBron, the Cavaliers, and his future. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I've my own thinking on this has evolved. I, I'm generally a pretty big skeptic um, of, of you know the early rumblings on things like this, and I've always thought from the moment that, Car- that LeBron went back, I thought you know, you know, this is it. This is a nice poetic ending. I mean, you know, he had a great essay that he, he did with Lee Jenkins in Sports Illustrated, and it was this was the way to to finish things out. This was like the right bookend after leaving Cleveland for Miami and then all the things that went with it and all the backlash. And so I, I would never imagine it was possible for him to leave. And when somebody mentioned to me, you know, this is a team official with a rival team a couple months ago uh, saying he was, he believed he was going to leave. And I said, ah, come on, you know, give me a break. And this person was insisting to me up and down, listen, LeBron and uh, Dan Gilbert, that relationship is as bad as it gets. Uh, LeBron can't stand the guy, and that's going to drive him out. And I thought, well, all right, somewhat plausible, but I'm, I, I just I, I still can't see it. You know, for, for his legacy and just uh, the, the distastefulness that would would accompany leaving Cleveland again. But that was a couple months ago, and since then, a lot of things have happened. Uh, the, the Cavaliers screwed up and let David Griffin leave. Um, decided not to renew him. They have not replaced him. They've done nothing to improve the roster. They also obviously lost in the finals, which, you know, always is going to factor in. And when you've lost in the finals, you, you, you know, it's all the more important that they have an active offseason and, and that they have, a, you know, the right person in charge. And so, you know, the, what I'm gathering is that LeBron has, you know, whatever faith he had in that organization, he has suddenly lost it um, in the absence of David Griffin. And, in the meantime, we also, you know, there were these, these little tea leaves being dropped. Like back during the finals, LeBron's, you know, production company, his media company, put out a video in which LeBron's sitting in a barber shop, you know, uh, shooting the breeze with a bunch of people, including Draymond Green, and they're talking about him going back to Cleveland and how LeBron's describing his family members and friends were saying, don't go back because of, of Dan Gilbert. So he put it right out there in public that, you know, now it was it was attributed to friends and family and his mom and all this. But if LeBron's saying that out loud, I, I think that's kind of indicating that that's maybe where his, his head is too. And so as you see all these things and then you, you get the unnamed, you know, sources close to LeBron saying that uh, to USA Today that, that he's, you know, got these uh, misgivings or concerns or, you know, those, those to me are all indicators that this is very real. 
and that we should not dismiss it. And that, you know, there may be even a better than 50-50 chance that he is leaving next summer. Now, of course, Howard, this is looking way out, but I want to tie this in with the challenge to the Warriors' hegemony, you know, their domination over the rest of the league. Where is the likely destination or destinations for LeBron? And does that kind of threaten the Warriors in any way? It's hard for me to even say that because they seem to be so far ahead of so many franchises from a talent perspective, a culture perspective, and, of course, a results perspective. Well, it's too soon to, to speculate on, on, you know, whether it changes the balance of power. I don't think it's too, too early to speculate about destination because I do think that the Lakers are a very uh, logical possibility because LeBron has a home in L.A., and he has business interests out there, and he has, uh, you know, an interest in uh, creating his own media empire and is already dabbling in, in obviously, in media. So it, it, there's, there's a lot that makes sense in that scenario. They've got a young team that needs some veteran help. You know, Lonzo Ball looks like he's going to be special, but he's a rookie, and it takes guys a while to develop. And, you know, the, the other players they have, you know, uh, Larry Nance Jr., Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, good young players, but they're, they're years away from contending. You bring in LeBron, he, you, you help, uh, you know, accelerate the process a little bit, but he's one guy and he's going to be 33 years old by that time. Um, if he's coming with Paul George or, you know, Russell Westbrook or someone else, then now, now you're talking about, you know, a substantial team. But the West is stacked, of course. The Warriors are still the Warriors. And, you know, I, I don't know that a LeBron James, Paul George, Lonzo Ball in year two team can do much to upset the balance of power in that regard, but it certainly make for a, uh, you know, a, a phenomenal uh, competition. And the Rockets are still there and the Spurs are still there. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But if LeBron goes to the Lakers or wherever he goes, there's going to have to be another star involved too if that team is going to be a contender. Howard, you're demonstrating great anticipation, much like Lonzo Ball, because that's exactly where I was going to go, of course, with Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and what have you. Let's shift gears and talk about perhaps the two franchises that have struggled the most. Uh, We'll start with the New York Knicks, and of course, tied to the Sacramento Kings with Scott Perry moving on to the Knicks. What, What is your feel, the vibe of yesterday's press conference uh, with Steve Mills and Jeff uh, Hornacek as well. Yeah, I was there for the press conference with with Scott and, and Jeff Hornacek and Steve Mills. Uh, you know, it was it was a press conference. The Knicks do a lot of these. Uh, as I wrote today, you know, they're really good at them. They have a lot of practice. Um, they are constantly introducing new people, coaches, GMs, team presidents. Uh, it, it's kind of what they do. Um, I thought that Scott Perry owned that press conference. I thought Jeff Hornacek, you know, he's kind of a low-key personality. You know, he said, said the right things. And Steve Mills said the right things. It was a little little flat, frankly. Scott, I, I just, I, I love the energy he, he uh, was uh, emitting uh, from his spot up there. He just seemed very enthused about the job, the challenge ahead. Uh, everything I've heard about him over the years, I, you know, I know him just casually, but everything I've always heard, you know, that he, he's definitely got a great head for the job. 
My concern is not whether or not Scott Perry has something great to add to the Knicks. It's more that they have not really substantially changed the structure of their front office, uh, or, or they haven't really changed the, the most important voices. Steve Mills was Phil Jackson's second in command. He was a general manager for the last four years, and now he's the team president. Uh, you know, Phil Jackson's tenure was pretty much of a failure. And so for the, the guy who was number two and along for the whole ride, not to mention Steve Mills has been in the garden for 14 of the last 18 years in one capacity or another. Those have not been good years at the garden. He is part of the culture that has, that has not produced winners, that has not produced a good productive environment. And so I, I just, I, I don't know how much of an impact Scott Perry can make when Steve Mills is the one running the show. And, you know, look, Steve Mills, good guy, smart guy. He's not trained as a, as a, as a basketball architect, as a team architect. That's not who he's been in his career. He's mostly been a business end guy. Um, the basketball side, the basketball ops was new to him when he was brought back to the Knicks in 2013. They replaced him with Phil Jackson six months later and knocked him down a peg to GM. I mean, I, I, this, this just feels like more of the same at the Garden. They're just reshuffling the deck. And, of course, Howard, this time it seems as though the Knicks always go for a big name. And here, perhaps with Perry, not necessarily a big name, very well respected. But, again, you're right. I guess the question becomes how much autonomy does he really have? And he talked a lot about alignment yesterday. You talked about the, you know, I would say checkered past of the 14 of 18 years with the Knicks in the win column. So, and then, of course, Carmelo. So uh, what's your take there? Reports, of course, that Melo still wants out, Houston's a likely destination, or perhaps Cleveland, two teams that he's evidently waived his no-trade clause for. Well, yeah, I mean, I've heard that, that Carmelo has told friends that he's, he's had it. He's, he's just done with, with the Knicks. He's not only with the, the organization, even with Bill Jackson gone, you know, uh, and, and I, I think that you know, that that was the, the key relationship that went sour, obviously, and Phil's gone. So you think, well, maybe Carmelo could stick around. But I feel I think you know what I'm what I'm gathering from from folks who have spoken with Carmelo is that he just doesn't believe in the organization anymore. He's he's uh, tired of this kind of this, this same old routine. They're you know they're, they're they're winning, trying to win now. They're rebuilding. They're you know they they just go back and forth. And he's 33 now. He's clearly near the end for, for his career, at least in terms of, of being able to be a, a top-line scorer. And aside from that, he also knows that all their failures are always on him. And, you know, right or wrong, fair or unfair, that's the price of being a franchise star. And, you know, he's gone through a lot of years of losing here. Um, he's had certainly more losing seasons than winning seasons and not a lot of playoff appearances. So he's just ready to move on and – you know, that's understandable. And, look, the Knicks should want to move on because it's time to, to you know, uh, truly rebuild around Chris Epps Porzingis, their budding young star. And it's hard to do that when you've got Carmelo Anthony taking up a lot of possessions. And, you know, you need Porzingis to have that responsibility himself. So it, it all makes sense. He should want to move on. They should want to move him. That's not the question. The question is, can they actually find a deal that works for all parties? And because of his no-trade clause, uh, which was you know, one of the bigger mistakes Phil Jackson made, um, Carmelo had a voice in this, and that, that limits how many places you can send him. It limits your leverage. And, you know, the Rockets know that. And, you know, I think he ultimately ends up in Houston, but it's going to require other teams to participate. 
in a three-team, maybe a four-team deal, just because the Knicks have to find a way to get something of value out of this. And, you know, they've got to match salaries and all that other stuff. So it's complicated. And, Howard, what is the the reluctance of James Dolan to not totally shake up the basketball operations part of it? And, of course, in New York, of all markets where, you know, results are paramount and they haven't been there, uh, to retain Mills, what's the, the, the chemistry there for, for that to continue? It's a strange thing. You know, I mean, Jim Dolan, I wrote about this today, he's hired – when he makes major hires, you know, GMs, team presidents, coaches, it's from one of two columns almost almost every time. The first column is celebrities. Phil Jackson, celebrity. Isaiah Thomas, celebrity. Larry Brown, celebrity. Uh, you can throw Mike D'Antoni in there. He's going for names. He's going for a sizzle. The other category that he hires from is loyalists, people who are – friends of Jim Dolan or have been loyal to Jim Dolan, guys he's comfortable with, that's Steve Mills. That's Steve Mills multiple times over. Um, right. So so that's how we get here. And then there's a whole front office of people who uh, predated Phil Jackson, predated Donnie Walsh. Uh, some of them even think predated Isaiah Thomas. You've got this like permanent front office of people who just, they're survivors. They're people who have been loyal to the right guys, whether it's to Dolan, to Mills, to both of them. And, you know, some of them of questionable value and of questionable talent. And yet they all hang on because, again, that's the Garden's culture. And, of course, Howard, what did you make of Scott Perry departing Sacramento? Of course, by many pundits' estimation, a solid draft, Fox, Jackson, Giles, and Mason. It's not a new Sacramento law firm, the draft picks, and you've got Debo, Vince Carter, and George Hill uh, really reshaping that roster in a true rebuild with Vlade Divac, uh in Sacramento in the second year of the downtown edifice, of course, this time without DeMarcus Cousins. What did you make of Perry's move to uh, to the Garden? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I mean, it certainly caught everybody off guard because, you know, he had just gotten to Sacramento. And, you know, look, there's another organization, the Kings, where, you know, yeah, fickle ownership and and not the smartest moves all the time. Uh, you know, I think I think Vivek hiring Vlade was very similar to Dolan hiring Steve Mills, very similar to Jeannie Buss hiring Magic Johnson. These are owners who did you know they, they don't necessarily know who the, the the best basketball people out there are, so they they grab the people who they're most comfortable with. Uh, and you know, Vlade's results a lot first couple of years have been you know uh, you know shaky to say the least, and hiring Scott Perry, hiring Ken Catanella last year, it seemed like they were finally building out a, a more sophisticated front office with, you know, skilled uh, basketball folks who had been in front offices, who, who know how to put a team together, who know, know the cap and know, know all the rules, know personnel. And so I thought it was very positive when they hired Scott Perry. I thought that this draft and agency period reflected some of that, and so I think it's a setback for the Kings to lose him again so quickly. And how are any names being bandied about as potential candidates to join Vlade Divac and Catanella et al. in the Kings front office, uh, especially after summer league is concluded and uh, folks kind of clear the deck for August in preparation for training camp? No one that I'm aware of at the moment, uh, but you know, I, I, I hope that they're realizing that that is a vacancy that's important to fill. I hope that the, the progress they've been making and realizing that they have to have seasoned hands 
uh, in that front office. Hope they've learned that lesson. Hope that they do find somebody you know, you know, similar to, to Scott Perry or you know, someone even, even more experienced. If there's someone out there, but uh, I don't, I don't know who that might be right now. And of course, Howard, before we let you go, I think it's uh, pertinent to ask about the Houston Rockets. First, just their moves on the floor, extending Harden, signing Chris Paul, the potential of signing or, or trading and, and acquiring Carmelo Anthony. Uh, did they? They take a step up and threaten perhaps again the Warriors or at least make a run in the West, in your opinion? Well, no one's threatening the Warriors right now as far as I'm concerned. I mean, teams got better. I, I, I love the fact that teams are, are not just laying down and saying, oh, we'll just plan for 2025 or something. Uh, it's great that everybody is, is you know, trying to bulk up. I like what the Rockets did with Chris Paul. I think Carmelo Anthony, while not necessarily the ideal fit there I think could could certainly work and I think that would be an interesting big three but you know it's great that the Thunder got Paul George to add to Russell Westbrook but nobody's threatening the Warriors unless the Warriors are hurt and, and that's just the, the the simple reality of the NBA right now the Warriors have four of the top 15 players in the NBA they have two MVPs and you know they are dominant at both ends and unless something else happens to them you know, no one's going to beat them just based on talent. It, it's just they don't just have great talent. They have complementary talent. They have selfless talent. They have great role players. Uh, they've they've built something that is is you know just kind of awe inspiring in a lot of ways. Uh, I know people. You know, if, if you're if you're not a Warrior fan or if you're just a fan of another team that has no hope. It's hard to to have that kind of, of appreciation and respect for what the Warriors do, but they play a great brand of basketball, and I, I just you know the, the combination of their talent, their character, their selflessness, style of play, it almost to me doesn't matter what the rest of the league does. You know, I, I don't think that you can create a team right now that's going to take them down unless the Warriors uh, somehow self uh, you know they have to they have to hurt themselves or they'd have to get injured. And, Howard, I, I'll ask you this. Have you ever been able to say that in your tenure covering the NBA? I mean, it's just uncanny. No. That's my initial reaction, right? When people ask me who's improved, I go right to, the, like, the Warriors buying into the draft again and Jordan Bell, the way they got the call last, last year at draft time. It's just uncanny what they've done. Well, this is, Bill, this is exactly why when people said, oh, why is everybody complaining the NBA has always been about Super teams. The NBA has always, you know, had, you know, uh, you know, just a couple of teams contending. No, this is different. This is absolutely different. I covered, you know, the Shaq Kobe Lakers, and as great as they were, yes, they won three championships in a row. Every year, people expected them to fail. They didn't expect them to win because the Spurs were great and the Kings were great and the Blazers were great for part of that. They were they were constantly waiting for somebody to knock them up because the Lakers had two great players, two Hall of Famers. But every, the rest of the roster was role guys. What the Warriors have is four great players. And they have um, – it's, it's such an, an imbalance between them and everyone else. This is the only time – and this is 20 years I've been covering the league now. This is the only time this past season where it felt like it was really, first of all, just a two-team race. And it, and it turned out to be exactly that. And we're going into next season now, now that we've seen the Warriors – you know, pretty well, you know, uh, crush the Cavs in the finals. Next season will be the one where, we're, where we, we think it's a one-team race. And 
No, that hasn't happened before. I, I, you know, I challenge anybody to find me, and you'd have to go back, obviously, in the archives of, of whatever newspapers, magazines. Find me any other period in the NBA, unless you're going back to the 60s, Celtics maybe, where it felt like a one-team race, where you really thought nobody else even has a chance. That's what's unique about the Warriors. Yes, there have always been super teams, and yes, there have been dynasties and all this. This is different because it feels like they're just so far ahead of everyone else that it doesn't even seem like it's possible to catch them. And, and you know what, Howard, the irony here, too, is you know their uh, joy, mindfulness, compassion, competition, that culture, like you've talked about, the magnanimous nature, right, Durant taking less money to, for the, to giving them the ability to re-sign guys. It's almost like their patience and prudence in many ways speeds other teams up, and they don't have the patience to, to, to build it the right way like the Spurs have over the long term, like the Warriors have in an accelerated fashion. So it's just one of those ironies. It will be interesting to see how it does play out on the floor for teams to just get better. And like you said, you know, not necessarily threaten the Warriors, but just in their own way, in their own DNA, organically get better. There are only four ways to get better, right? Trades, free agency, skill development, and the draft. So you've got to do that, but I guess it's, it's talent evaluators and bringing in, you know, our kind of guys as Chris Peterson, uh, another UC Davis Aggie alum at the University of Washington <laughs> football, right? You've got to have you, – you've got to know who you are and kind of stick with it through this uh, period of time where they just seem to be head and shoulders above. And that, that really struck me, too, during the playoffs or before the playoffs. Jeff Van Gundy said he's never seen a talent gap like this in the NBA – and obviously they've proven it, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens this season if they can sustain that that wide gap. Yeah, and look, you know, it'll be year two, and it'll be year four of them going for the finals. You know, they've been through three straight finals, and you know Durant was only on board for one of them, but it's three straight years for the for the rest of the core group of the Warriors. You know, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and you know Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, Curry. So there's there's possibly a fatigue factor or attrition um, that counts for the Cavaliers too. By the way, you know uh, you know LeBron has been to seven straight finals and, and the Cavs have been to three straight. So you know other things can come into play here. You know fatigue and you know for some teams boredom. The Warriors have never seen bored. They seem you know perfectly fine to, to to go all out all the time. You know day in day out for the last few years. But other things can come into play. And, and again, you know injury is always a, a, a factor in the NBA and. You know, it's, it's the one thing that I feel like coaches are, are, are clinging to around the league. It's like, well, something always happens. Well, nothing, nothing happens to throw them off course this past season. But um, that's the philosophy of everybody else. It's like, well, you know, sure, they look unbeatable. Well, something will happen. Something always – well, I don't know. Um, you know, unless, unless the you know, team bus falls in a ditch, I, I don't think anything is, is happening to throw them off course. <laughs> right, and I don't think we've ever seen that on a UB Brown whiteboard. Something will happen. And Howard, I'd be, remiss, I'd be remiss not to ask you as we wrap up, and you're so gracious with your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, just your surprise with uh, Les Alexander selling the Rockets. That seems to surprise even those within the Rockets organization. Well, it was it was shocking. Nobody saw it coming. Didn't leak. And but at the same time, you know, Les Alexander. You know, I think he's in his 80s now, and uh, you know, it makes a certain degree of sense, especially because you know the. Uh, value of NBA franchises has, of course, never been higher. And uh, there's a great, uh, there seems to be a consensus around the league that the Rockets are going to set a new record and surpass 2 billion, probably, you know, 2.1 or more. 
so you know, I, I guess I, I can't uh, can't doubt the wisdom of selling right now. But no, nobody saw it coming. I don't know that it has a major impact on the league, other than it, it reaffirms just how great a shape the league is in uh, financially, how valuable these teams are, and you know, it's uh, it's a great investment, kids, if you can afford it. <laughs> Absolutely, and Howard, a great investment for our listeners to have you on horrendous agenda. You read them at Bleacher Report. You hear them on the Full 48 podcast with Jordan Brenner. You follow them on Twitter, at Howard Beck, from Park Slope, Brooklyn. Howard, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, my pleasure, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill Horrenda and catch him daily on the KFBK Morning News.